Good morning, Lieutenant Governor. Michael, how are you? Um, thank you so much for doing this. First of all, we have to say that we really value what you yourself are doing and, uh, along with the governor. It's been um, the most comforting news we get each day coming from the governor. So everyone in New York really appreciates it, but especially everyone here in our area. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So I know you don't have much time. I can't imagine that you would. So I just have going to throw a couple of questions at you. First of all, just curious where you're working from. Are you working up in Buffalo at home? Yes, I have an office okay. in Buffalo. So the biggest news I think right now is, you know, the governor's sort of announcing that possibly the worst is over, which we're all hoping is true. Where do you stand with that sort of decision? Is, is it something that um, we're facing now, a, a turning point in this situation? Or what's your take on all this? Well, the declaration that the worst is over is simply based on analyzing the data that we've seen trending over the last week or so. And what that means is instead of the number of cases skyrocketing upward, we have finally hit a plateau where it's leveled off. Now, bad news is it's leveled off at a high level. There's still you know, 200,000 positive cases in New York, and the death rate seems to be holding rather constant at a, an exceptionally high number, which is in the 700s for the last six days. It's plateaued, which means it's not continuing upward, and right. that makes it a little bit more manageable for us to know what we're dealing with in terms of hospital capacity and supplies. And, but what we need to see next is that this trend to start heading downward, uh, and it has headed downward with respect to two important variables hospital admissions, and the number of people in ICUs. So people who went into the hospital, had to be on a ventilator. Many don't survive once you've been on a ventilator over a certain amount of time. So that's responsible for, we think, the current death rate. So when you extrapolate this out, because we're having fewer people going into hospitals now and fewer people in ICUs and on ventilators, we think that the trend of uh, lives lost will start heading downward fairly soon, we hope. But anything can change. If people's behavior starts to change, we'll see an increase in cases and mortality shortly thereafter. And that's because by declaring the worst is over, we're simply saying that it's no longer going upward. It does right. not mean we're out of the woods at all. And as much as we're so desperate as human beings to feel that there's some hope or some end to this, because this is so unnatural for us to be disconnected from others, that if we start losing our commitment to what we've been asked to do, if people start becoming complacent, we will end up right back where we started and have to do this all over again. And that is factor if we do not want to see and it's something we're fighting hard against. But what's the sort of current plan to, to slowly start reopening things? Is there, you know, a sort of a vision for this? The coordinated effort that the governor just announced this past week with neighboring states was important because we want to make sure that we're doing things in a coordinated way, in a strategic way, and not at odds with other states. I mean, certainly in the Hudson Valley, people think nothing of going into Massachusetts or over to Connecticut. And because it's so geographically close, the boundaries between states become almost non-existent. It's a metropolitan area. A lot of people live in New York City. They have their second homes in uh, the beautiful Catskills and in Sullivan County. And, you know, there's just this incredible synergy. So what you do in one area will have an impact on another, even if it's in a different state. If you Absolutely. open up the bars in New Jersey or in Massachusetts and restaurants and pent-up New Yorkers start saying, I can cross state lines to do something I've missed doing, that could continue the spread even longer. So there'll be a, a thought-out plan just as the closing of businesses and determining what was essential, you know, had to evolve for a while as more cases came before us. We realized, well, you're right, that's essential or that's not essential. We'll be doing it the same way in piecemeal approach because that's the only way to open this economy. You know, we'll, we'll hopefully have some answers before long, but even to say we'll have answers in another two weeks is impossible to do. 
So there's just a lot of unknown here. And it's frustrating for us because in government, you want to govern with predictability and be able to give assurances to the people you represent that there is a, a date certain, but we'd be misrepresenting the whole situation if we pretended to know that. No one knows that answer right now. For people who think they might have had it or asymptomatic, et cetera, how does one get tested? It will be a point where they can get tested to kind of just determine whether they've been exposed to it or not? That's an important dynamic in terms of knowing when we can open up more industries as well. Are there people, employees who had contracted the virus? And again, only 20% of people who contract the virus will need to be hospitalized. So 80% either were asymptomatic or had minor symptoms that they wrote off as being a flu or being a cold. And so because we didn't have testing available from the federal government early on, we now want to make sure that we have the capability we're developing now, the antibody test, to determine whether or not someone actually developed immunity or developed antibodies to protect them from this. So they would be part of a first wave of people that would be more likely to be able to go back to their workplace because they wouldn't contract it ideally and, and also not be able to spread it to someone else. How we get that out there is still a function of trying to mass produce it. That has not occurred. It's being worked on with New York State businesses and businesses within the seven-state region. We're asking other businesses to see if we can work together to ramp up testing production and getting it out there. There may well be a home testing kit someday, which would be phenomenal. We're just not there yet. Is there something people can do to help out? Yes, we have a, a COVID-19 website that people can identify that they want to volunteer. Now, someone who's been a, you know, maybe a retiree who was a medical professional, there's certainly a place to fill out your qualifications and re-engage in the workforce again. So that that's one dynamic as on the healthcare side. But I think in terms of where there's a high need, particularly in rural areas, rural poverty is still extremely high. And what this has done is really exacerbated the existing fault lines that are have set apart a lot of people who lived on the margins, uh, there's, there's a lot of demand for food. So I'm calling on people to check in with your local food banks for monetary and food donations, but also are you a candidate to help drive food after you've had your training and you're properly equipped and you know, have the protective equipment on you? Couldn't you just be a volunteer? I saw a great article about college students in other states banding together while they don't have classes to attend, becoming Meals on Wheels drivers, whereas before it had always been driven by uh, people that were retirees. I think that's an area we need to step up our engagement and everyone can help. And even on a minor level, I'm not a good cook. I never pretend to be. But if I am home and I'm making a pot of something or roasting something, I'm making extra and leaving at the doors of my neighbors because I have a lot of seniors who I don't want to see out there in the grocery store. I feel worried about them. I want them to be secure in their homes. So even just that neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor checking in on people and you know, this is the time to get to know people. I mean, if there's any positive that comes out of this, it's the ability of us to connect with people, not just your old friends, but also people that you who live in your community that you never had a reason to get to know and understand that they're under tremendous stress. These are huge disruptions in how we how humans interact with each other. But we also can come out of this stronger in a way that we feel that people are more valued, whether they're the people that are working in our grocery stores and pharmacies and other people that get up there every day and put themselves in danger in our healthcare facilities. I think we're going to just have more gratitude in our hearts for people that we perhaps even just ignored in society. And that's good for them and it's good for us. Okay, last question. Everyone's in New York kind of concerned about the unemployment uh, situation since it's so overwhelmed. Is there any, any sort of news on that front from your office? Yes, absolutely. And, and this was critically important that we 
address a system that was not, not functioning the way it should have. And the reason being is that for 40 years, we had the same system as many states, you know, based on cobalt uh, technology, which is so antiquated. My father knows how to do it, but he's 83. <laughs> so we had an antiquated system that we had actually invested money and were starting a year and a half ago to bring into the 21st century. Clearly, that wasn't done in time for this, but we were aware that that needed to be done in terms of enhancing our technology. But let, let's imagine a system that was working fine, and all of a sudden that explodes to 10 million calls in a week. No, There's no system on earth that could handle that shift in volume. And we immediately started retraining people from the outside, hiring more people, taking people who are state employees who are deemed non-essential, even DMV workers or people who work in different agencies that were now retrained to be part of the call center. So we now have over a 1,000 people, and that number continues to grow, answering the phone calls. Google just helped us redesign our website, and that was just relaunched, I think, on Friday night after being taken down for a few hours. But here's the biggest development. Normally, you'd be, once you get online, you should be able to fill out your application, push send, and it's it's in motion. But many times because of some missing information or something you weren't able to answer or some, something that didn't show up consistently, then it would be directing you to make a phone call after you filled it out online. And that's where the logjam occurred with thousands of people trying to get through phone lines. And what we've now instituted is if you cannot file completely online and you need to talk to a person, leave your phone number with us and within 72 hours we will have a representative call you back. And it's not perfect yet, but it's going to be dramatically improved over what it was. We're trying very, very hard to help smooth out all the obstacles that have been in place before and, and get it right. Um, we really appreciate this. We just want to wish you best of luck with everything and going forward and just keeping us up informed. We really appreciate that. Thank you and uh, keep producing beautiful work in your magazine. It makes people feel happy.